How many are thankful the Lamb of God took our place? Amen. What a wonderful truth. Stand with me, if you would, and open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2, and then also uh, Philippians chapter 2. While you're turning there, just a reminder, we still have the containers at the back of the sanctuary. We will for a couple of more Sundays. For those of you who have yet had the opportunity to make a, an advance campaign commitment or pledge, if you still want to do that, we'll have the containers out a couple of more Sundays. Uh, we thank you for those who have. We've had a great response. And uh, as you know, the advance uh, fund or the advance campaign is going for really three main purposes. First of all, the Student Ministry Center um, is being uh, added to and remodeled. And a little bit of work started this week. There'll be more this coming week. Uh, also, the church plant in Dunkirk will, um, your giving toward the advance fund will help that along as well. And then projects around the world, our missions uh, efforts. Uh, Chris and Carol Martin were with us just a few weeks ago there in Morocco and needing to develop leaders there. And so the, the advance fund that uh, this initial uh, three years commitment will go toward those projects and then we'll continue after that to, to fund those as well. So thank you for your faithfulness in giving. And again, I would echo what uh, Paula said. If any of you are thinking maybe God is speaking to you about being part of the core team uh, in Dunkirk, at least come tonight or the 28th and kind of hear Kyle's heart and what uh, he believes God is doing as we prepare for that. Exodus chapter 2 and uh, verse number 11. As we continue the Moses story, it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, that he went out to his brethren and he looked at their burdens and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way. And when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and he hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. And he said to the one who did the wrong, why are you striking your companion? And then he said, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptians? So Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. Verse 15. So when Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh, and he dwelt in the land of, of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters. And they came and they drew water and they filled the troughs to water their father's flock. Then the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. When they came to Ruel, their father, he said, How is it that you have come so soon today? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds. And he also drew enough water for us and he watered the flock. So he, that is Ruel, said to his daughters, And where is he? Why is it that you have left the man? Call him that you may eat bread, that he may eat bread. Then Moses was content to live with the man, and he gave Zipporah, his daughter, to Moses. And she bore him a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died, and the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage. And they cried out, and their cry came up to God because of the bondage. So God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. I want to read just one verse from the book of Philippians. This is 
the writing of the Apostle Paul. He is writing from a Philippian jail. And in chapter 2 of Philippians, in verse 13, he says this, It is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. How many believe God is at work in us? Do you believe that? Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for your presence in this place. And I ask God that you would speak to us now. Across this room, across this sanctuary, speak to hearts and lives. Transform us by the living word of God. Lord, I don't deserve your anointing. I've not worked hard enough to deserve it. Certainly haven't earned it. But God, I pray for it so that I can rightly communicate your word to this congregation today. Supernaturally captivate the attention of everyone in this room. Give us ears to hear and understand and hearts to receive and embrace the truth of your word today. Teach us the beauty and the power of waiting in your presence waiting on you to work, knowing that it is you who works in us, both to will and to do of your good pleasure. Help me to speak with simplicity, with integrity, with authority and boldness in these moments that we share together today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you consider yourself to be a very patient person and good at waiting? How many, how many, anybody, anybody think you're a good patient waiter. All right. Um, Timex, the watch people, right? They did a little study asking how long people would wait before taking action in a variety of situations. And researchers discovered these things, that the average American will wait 13 seconds before they honk at a car in front of them that has stopped at a green light. How many of you would wait 13 seconds? How many of you would honk before 13 seconds? We are either above average or below average. I don't know. You can decide. The average American would wait 26 seconds before they would shush someone who was talking in a movie theater. The average American would wait 26, I like this one, 26 seconds before they take the seat of someone who just walked away, all right? I like that. 26 seconds or however long it takes to make sure they don't see you. I I know that. Um, We would wait 45 seconds before we ask someone who is talking too loud on a cell phone to keep it down. I think I would respond sooner than 45 seconds. We would wait 13 minutes for a table at a restaurant. I like this one. I don't know how many of you ever faced this. I have not, but they would, an average American would wait 20 minutes for a blind date to show up before they leave. I'd be out of there in two minutes. My, my insecurities would take over before 20 minutes. And then last one, 20 minutes, we would wait 20 minutes for the last person to show up for Thanksgiving dinner before we dig in, all right? How many would wait 20 minutes or less, right? Okay, let's talk about Moses um, and waiting on God to work. 
I want to set the scene again, tell the story. I want everybody to be on the same page. Just allow me a few minutes to kind of get us up to speed. The Hebrew people had lived in Egyptian bondage for four centuries, 400 years, before God finally raised up their deliverer. The deliverer was a man named Moses, hence the title for this series. We learned last week that um, God did some incredible things in preparing Moses for his role of deliverer. Not the least of which, God delivered him from a near certain death that should have taken place before Moses even grew uh, into adulthood. We um, learned the story last week. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so hated the Hebrews, felt so threatened by their growth and their development, feared that they would grow larger than his Egyptian army and feared that he would lose power and control. Because of that, he declared an edict, and that edict was that every time a male Hebrew was born, the midwife was to kill that male child. The thought, of course, would be that eventually the Hebrew race would become extinct, and there would be no reason to fear uh, the Hebrews that were growing in number. We learned last week that two of the Hebrew midwives, representing really all of them, Two of them, Shipra and Puah, said, no, we will not do that. They disobeyed the king's edict, and they let the male Hebrews live. And so because of that, the the Hebrew nation continued to grow. And so Pharaoh, realizing that plan number one did not work, issued another edict. And that second edict was that every Hebrew male child born must be thrown into the Nile River. In the Nile River, he would either drown, that child would either drown or would be eaten by the crocodiles. And again, the idea that Pharaoh had was that he would ultimately wipe out the entire Hebrew race. And so there was this mother that we know later, her name was Jochebed. And Jochebed had a son. And of course, we know later that son's name is Moses. She and her husband, knowing that the king was after their child, hid little Moses until he was three months of age and they could no longer hide him. And so she prepared a little ark and she made it at home and she placed little Moses in that ark and had her daughter Miriam carry Moses down to the Nile River and place him in the river among the bulrushes and the weeds and placed him there knowing that unless a miracle occurred, this little child would be destroyed. But they had faith in God. You know the story, Miriam kind of hid in the shadows and, and suddenly there was a, a, the sound of a, an entourage coming toward the river and it was Pharaoh's daughter, the princess. She had come with her servants to bathe in the Nile River. And when she did, she saw this little ark and she opened it up and immediately was moved with compassion toward that child. And instead of saying, hey, we need to kill this Hebrew, she wanted to take that little child to be her own. But of course, she was not a mother and could not nurse the child. And so Miriam came out of the shadows and said, hey, I know just the person to nurse that little baby. 
And she said, the princess said, I'll be glad. I'll even pay wages if you can find somebody that will nurse this little baby boy until he is weaned and then bring him back to me. And so Miriam went and got her mother, who was also the mother of that little baby. And Jochebed got to raise for the first two or three years of his life, little Moses. We talked about last week that in the providence of God, this mother gets to nurse and raise her child in these very important years and how without question she was breathing in to Moses, the very life of God. She would whisper the name of Yahweh. She would sing songs of God's faithfulness. And this little child underneath the providence of God was growing to hear about the goodness and the faithfulness of the God of Israel. And so in all of this, in all of this darkness and all of this trouble and all of this period of time where it seemed like death was going to reign, we learned last Sunday that God was present. How many are glad God is present in our darkness? Aren't you thankful for that? He was a present God. I want to take the story of Moses a little bit further today. And we talk about the beginning now of his adult life. Moses is now 40 years of age. He has spent some 37 or 38 years in an Egyptian palace. But he knows his identity. He knows that he is different. He knows that he is a Hebrew raised in the home or the palace of the Egyptians. And so one day he goes down into the area where his own people were serving where they were being brutally beaten and tortured by and made to serve the Egyptians. The text says it came to pass in those days when he was grown that he went out to his brethren. So Moses went down to his brethren and he looked at their burdens. And when he was there, he saw an Egyptian man beating one of the Hebrews, one of his own, one of his brothers. So the Bible says that Moses looked this way they looked that way, and he saw no one. And so he killed the Egyptian, and he hid him in the sand. Let me talk about this for just a moment or two. We're not certain how, but Moses knew who he was. No doubt his mother had instilled in him in those early years that he was a child of the Hebrews, that he was a son of Yahweh. And though he was raised in Pharaoh's home, he knew there was a difference about him. So he goes out to where his own are laboring. It was odd for him. He kind of had an identity crisis going on. He was a Hebrew, but he was not a slave. The rest of his people were slaving away. And he goes down to where they are serving. And he saw their burdens. And not only did he see how hard they were working, he saw one of them being beaten. The Hebrew word is nakah. It means to beat with the intention of damage. He saw one of his own being beaten, being nakah by the Egyptian. And the text says that when Moses saw that, he looked this way and he looked that way and he saw no one. And so then he killed the Egyptian and buried him 
in the sand. That little phrase, he looked both ways, this way and that way, is the Hebrew panakoko. And um, it says he looked this way and that way. Now watch this. And he, he saw no one. Uh, to see in the Hebrew is ra'ad. So ra'ish is he saw no man. Now I know when we read that, we think that, that Moses was trying to cover himself. And nobody come in that direction. Nobody coming that direction. I'm going to kill him. But I don't think that's really what is being said in the text. A little phrase, ra'ish, he saw no man, shows up somewhere else. It shows up in Isaiah 59. And um, here we read these words, so truth fails and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. And he saw the Lord, watch this, the Lord saw that there was no man, ra'ish. And he wondered that there was no intercessor. So what's this saying? God was looking but he couldn't find an intercessor. And so it appears that same phrase is used here, that it is very likely that Moses was not trying to cover himself. Moses was looking to see, is there help coming that direction? Is there help coming that he looked this way and that way, but he saw no man, Ra'ish, he saw no one to help. And so Moses took it into his own hands and he ended up killing the Egyptians. It's interesting, the word that is used when it says he killed the Egyptian is the same word, nakah. He beat the Egyptian, probably not with the intention of killing him, but he did kill him, and so he buried him in the sand. So now Moses thinks, okay, I've done something on behalf of my people. Surely they will respect me, but he is instead rejected by his own. The next day it says that Moses went and he saw two two Hebrew men fighting. And Moses said to these two Hebrews, the one that was at fault doing the wrong, he said, why are you striking your brother? Why are you hitting your companion? And instead of saying, you're right, we need to have unity, he turned to Moses and he said, who made you prince and judge over us? Who made you boss for a day? That's what we would say. Who made you in charge? And then he said, do you intend to kill us like you did the Egyptian? And the first thing I would say is Moses probably should have looked again. He evidently didn't look close enough. He looked this way and that way and there was no man. Obviously there was a man and they saw him and it was one of the Hebrews. And he said, so you're going to kill us like you did the Egyptian. At that point, Moses thought, oh my. The word is out. They're going to come after me. And so Moses had to flee. What's interesting is they, there's irony in this when this Hebrew brother said, who made you judge and kind of looked down and snubbed his nose at Moses. It would be some time later, but we'll read in Exodus eighteen thirteen that Moses sat to judge the people. He will become their judge. The story actually indicates later that Moses, and we don't know how this happened, but Moses somehow thought that they would see him as deliverer. Look at what Acts chapter 7 says. This is what Stephen actually says when he is making a defense and he's telling the story of Israel and he's talking about Moses. He says that Moses supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they didn't understand. 
So what Stephen is saying is that we don't know how, but somehow Moses thought, watch this, this is my moment. I'm going to step out now. I'm going to save them from the Egyptian and they're going to realize I am their deliverer. And it turned out they didn't understand at all. And instead, they rejected him. He's misunderstood by his people. And now watch this. He becomes the object of Pharaoh's wrath. When Pharaoh heard of the matter, he sought to kill Moses. So Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh, and he dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. So just two days before, Moses is age 40. I think I'll go check out my people and see how they're doing and see how they live. And he breaks up a fight, kills an Egyptian. The next day, he tries to break up two Hebrews fighting and they rat him out. And he has to flee for his life. Everything has changed in a matter of about 48 hours. And Moses flees to the wilderness and he finds a new home at the age of 40. The Bible says that the priest of Midian had seven daughters. Moses has sat down by a well and priest of Midian out in the desert had seven daughters and they came to draw water. They filled their troughs to water their father's flock. But these kind of chauvinistic bully shepherds showed up and they drove the women away from the well. Look what Moses did. It's kind of in his blood. Moses always standing up for people. He stood up for them and he uh, helped them and watered their flock. So when the girls came home that night to their father, Ruel, they said to him, he said, how'd you get back so soon? You guys, you ladies usually don't get back so quickly. And they said, well, there was an Egyptian. Evidently, Moses is still in his Egyptian garb. He had fled from Egypt. There was this Egyptian that delivered us from the hand of the shepherds, and he also drew enough water for us and watered the flock. And so Ruel, he's got seven daughters and none of them are married yet. He says... And where is he? Why did you leave the man? You could have called him and he could have had supper with us. I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but he said, why didn't you invite the guy? Finally, one of you's found a good man and you just left him at the well. Why didn't you bring him to dinner? Okay. Again, folks, you have to work with me when I tell these stories. I'm trying to make them fun for you. So, so they go out and they get him, call him that he may eat bread. And so they went, this is, we measure time by verses. This happened really fast. He went and he ate dinner and he was content to live with a man and he gave Zipporah his daughter and she bore him a son. Now that happened fast, did it not? All right. So, so he marries Zipporah and they have a son and they call his name Gershom for he says, I have been a stranger in the land. And Moses goes from deliverer who is ready to act to save my people, to a fugitive frightened for his life. He defends the seven sisters. He impresses his father-in-law to be. He marries Zipporah and has a son named Gershom. I've been a stranger in a foreign land because Moses will live in Midian now as long as he had lived in Egypt. He's going to live in the desert for 40 years years. It's interesting in this story that I read to you, just 14 verses, Moses intercedes on three separate occasions. He intercedes for the Hebrew that's being beaten by the Egyptian. 
He intercedes for the Hebrew that's being beaten by another Hebrew. And he intercedes for the seven daughters of Ruel. He names his son Gershom because he knows what it's like to be a stranger in a foreign land. Moses has really never been home. He was a Hebrew that for the first 40 years of his life, he's in an Egyptian palace. And the next 40 years of his life, he is going to spend in the wilderness. He's 80 years old. He's a fugitive. He's away from his people and away from his home. And look right here. He is asking God 80 years. What is of all this time? Where are you in all of this, God? Are you possibly active in my life? I am 40 years old and he's going to be 80. And he's going to spend 40 years in the wilderness as a father, a son-in-law, and a shepherd and a husband. But he had deep in his spirit this desire to be a deliverer. God, where are you? Are you active in all of this? Moses is driven out of Israel or out of Egypt, just as Israel will later be driven out of Egypt. But in those 40 years, he will learn the hospitality of the wilderness before the Hebrews do. He'll learn what the wilderness is like before he has to lead them through that wilderness for 40 more years. He may wonder whether God was active or not. Philippians 2 and verse 13 says, It is God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Everybody look right here for just a moment. You may not feel like God is at work in your life right now. You may have big plans. You may feel like God has given you a dream and a vision. You may have great relationships that you are believing are going to be reconciled. And you're just wondering, God, are you even at work? I want you to understand, even when we don't see the hand of God at work, It is God who is working in us. Say amen if you believe that. This waiting time was not wasted time. God was indeed active, and he was active in three ways, very simple. Number one, God was active in the life of Moses. It may not look like it. He's going to hang out 40 years in the wilderness, but God was active in the life of Moses. At the beginning of this passage, Moses was a self-confident man in a position of privilege. He walked up on that Egyptian beating that Hebrew, and he knew that he was going to take it in his own hands, and he was going to fix this problem. And what Moses thought was an inaugural act of obedience was really defiant rebellion because he had gotten out ahead of God. Moses is going to learn this lesson so that when they get in the wilderness, he's going to have to say to those people that want to move too fast, you see that cloud? We're staying put until that cloud moves. You see that pillar of fire? We're going nowhere until that pillar of fire moves. I want you to understand that was not a quality of Moses that he had from birth, that kind of patience. Moses had to be taught that kind of waiting on God. And so God sent him into the wilderness for 40 years. 
He didn't give up on him, and during that long period, God was shaping the character of Moses. Just so we know it's a long period, Moses wrote that in Exodus 2.23. Look at that first line. During that long period, and I'm telling you, Moses felt like it was a long period. But during that long period of time, God is working on the character of Moses. He is teaching him compassion by allowing him to experience what it is like to be an alien. He is going to teach him what it feels like to be outside of where you are comfortable so that he can lead his people in that same manner. He is tempering Moses' sense of self-importance, teaching him that he cannot deliver on his own. He is softening and maturing the heart of Moses. And this is so interesting. God taught Moses not only about the wilderness, but he was teaching Moses about his people. The wilderness was a place, look right here, it was a place where shepherds dwelt. It's a place where shepherds tended their flocks. What were the Hebrews? They were shepherds, Jacob and Joseph. Remember when they moved back to Egypt or they moved to Goshen and and, and Joseph said to Pharaoh, listen, my people are shepherds. They were shepherd people, but Moses had spent the first 40 years of his life in a palace. He didn't know anything about shepherds. He kept clean all the time. There was no dirt under his fingernails. He always wore nice clothes. He didn't ever mess with with the shepherds. And so in those 40 years in the wilderness, God was not only teaching Moses about the wilderness. He was teaching Moses about his people so that Moses could have compassion on those people having experienced what they experienced. I don't want to overdo this, but it's not hard to see all the way through the story of Moses, a type of Christ. The Bible says that God, the word became flesh and did what? Dwelt among us. Felt what it was like to be sleepy and tired and hungry and thirsty and let down and disappointed and rejected. Jesus experienced all of those things. Why? So that when we pray to him, we have a high priest who is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Do you all understand that? When you pray and you talk to Jesus, he knows how you feel. How many are thankful for that this morning? He knows how you feel. And so during these 40 years, God was active. Uh, Things weren't progressing, at least to the naked eye, but God was changing the heart of Moses. He had him in that place for the perfect time. Moses had lost his history, but now he is being taught that history in the wilderness. So God was active in the life of Moses. Secondly, God was active in Egypt. I'm only going to mention this. God was active in Egypt. The king who had sought the life of Moses dies during that period of time. 
In Exodus 2.23, it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died, which meant then that Moses could finally, after 40 years, come back and deliver them. So God was active in Moses. It didn't look like anything was happening. I mean, every day for that 40 years, Moses went to the well and watered the sheep. Didn't look like he's getting any closer to being the deliverer that he had tried to be 40 years before. But the whole time, God was active. He was changing the heart of Moses. And he was preparing Egypt. And thirdly, God was active with the Hebrews. It happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. And the children of Israel, look at this, they groaned because of their bondage. They cried out. And their cry came up to God because of the bondage. God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel and he acknowledged them. The action seems to be slowing down, but God is hearing their groaning. He's not just listening, he's hearing with a readiness to act. And he remembers his covenant. It's not that God had forgotten it. It's not mental recollection. It's the kind of remembering that includes action. God looked on the Hebrews like Moses did with compassion, and he's ready to do something. He has personal knowledge of their plights, and he is ready to extend mercy to his people. So was God active in those 40 years? Absolutely so. God was active in shaping the heart of Moses. He was active in preparing Egypt. He was active in preparing the Hebrews for the deliverance that was to come. From a human point of view, those 40 years in Midian seem like wasted time. It seemed like the deliverer isn't delivering. We get impatient. We honk the horn after 13 seconds of inactivity. God, if you don't move in the next week or two, I'm going to move this thing myself. If I don't get this prayer answered in the next month, I'm going to find another way because obviously, God, you don't care and you're not at work and prayer obviously isn't working. How many in this room have ever gotten ahead of God a little bit? How many of this are com- how many of you are comfortable lying because most of you didn't raise your hands? Um I don't often talk about this, and, and I'm now 24 years removed. But I, uh, at the age of 16, I got called into ministry. I remember the day. It was over in what is now Conaway Hall. I remember responding to the altar call. And I got up from the altar that day, and I knew I was going to pastor. That was what I was going to do. I never really thought about doing anything else after that. Got the wheels turning where I was going to go to college. And I just wanted to pastor. The, the process was not all that thrilling to me. I just wanted to be pastoring. And so I hurried the process because I thought the world needed me, you know, behind the pulpit. I thought it, they needed me. So I took 22 hours a semester. And um, I did summer school. And you were allowed 12 hours of correspondence toward your degree. And so I threw that on there. And, I mean, I just ripped through and uh, because I wanted to pastor. And uh, I got through, and I pastored my first church at the age of 21. 
And God bless that. And I'm so thankful for that experience. But as I have reflected on that over the years, I, I found myself not just in the church in Morocco, but even in Winchester years later, that there were some things in my life that I had not really given the time to develop and mature like they should have. Um, I, I don't know if you understand this, but sometimes when you are the man behind the pulpit, you've got to preach every Sunday. And back then it was every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, and every Wednesday night. You've got to pump out three sermons a week and do funerals and, and, and act like you have it all together. You spend most of your time acting like you have it all together and very little time really working on the things that need to be worked on, the insecurities, the fear, the lack of faith, the discipline in prayer life, all of those things that most 21-year-olds don't have yet. And I was out there pastoring, and it, it cost me some. I, I hurried, I believe. Now, God, again, aren't you thankful that God takes our messes and turns them for good. Are you thankful for that? And, and I don't, I, I'm not wishing that hadn't happened. I'm just telling you that there were some things in my life I had to learn the hard way that I could have learned in a much easier way had I not hurried the process. And I did. And, and I wasn't probably the pastor I should have been to some people at some times. And there's still, there's still leftovers of that at times because when you at 21 have to have it together, you somehow learn to mask even the things that you haven't yet really worked out in your life. That's what happens when we hurry the plan that God has. We get impatient. In the life of Moses and in the lives of the Hebrews, it seemed that circumstances were not changing. I want you to get this statement, but time waiting is never time wasted. If you're waiting, it doesn't mean you're wasting time. God is, it is God who works in you. Even if it's not above the surface, even if nobody else can tell it, even if things aren't falling into place in your life's master plan, it is God working in you both to will and do of his good pleasure. And look right here and listen, God is a whole lot more interested in making you who he wants you to be than you getting done what you have on your list or your agenda to get done. He wants to make us like him. Say amen if you believe that. Waiting time is not wasted time. God had been active. God was active when Jochebed put Moses in that little ark. God was active when Miriam was peering out of the bushes. God was active when the princess showed up at the Nile River. God was active when Ruel and, and the daughters were so hospitable to Moses, who was kind of a little down on his luck at the age of 40. God was active when Pharaoh died. God was active when the people were crying out. God was active when he was teaching Moses to be a good shepherd in the wilderness because Moses would need that skill in just a few years. God was setting the stage for Moses to have a revelation that we're going to hear about next week that was second to none when in the midst of the wilderness, God shows up and reveals himself as the I am. God was active in preparing the heart of Moses. The good news is, folks, we are a waiting people. 
Christ followers are waiting people. We are waiting for God to act in a world filled with disaster, depression, and disease. We don't lose hope. We're waiting. We're waiting for God to break through the injustice and bring peace. We are waiting for God to transform from the inside out. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 8. And at the bottom of the screen, you'll say, you'll see that we all know the whole creation is groaning together with birth pains until that time when Christ returns. We are waiting for his return and for him to set things right. He hears our groaning. He remembers his promise to us. He sees and he is concerned. Peter writes, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness. But he's long-suffering toward usward, not willing that any perish, but all come to repentance. And later in that chapter, Peter writes these words, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look and wait for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. We are awaiting people because we know that God is at work. It is God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Why don't you stand with me, if you would, please. Henri, uh, Henri Nguyen, he was a uh, Catholic priest. Before his passing, he uh, wrote a book called The Sabbatical Journey. And in that, in that book, Nguyen tells the story of a, a family that he became friends with. Uh, they were, their name were the Rudellas. And, and the Rudellas were trapeze artists. You know, the kind in the circus that ride the trapeze. He uh, talked about one of the feats that the trapeze artists perform. Probably one of the most dangerous ones. We've all seen it. When one person on a trapeze is swinging across and the other one is swinging across, they go back and forth and then this one lets go. And the one on this trapeze catches them. Um, As Henri Nguyen was talking with the Rudella family about that particular feat, they described to him um, how that had to take place. The person that lets go is the flyer. The person on the other trapeze is the catcher, obviously. You have the flyer that lets go and the catcher that catches. And, um, but for that to work successfully, no one to be injured, the flyer has to uh, push aside his natural instinct And the natural instinct is to catch himself, the catcher. He lets go. First of all, my natural instinct is to not let go, right? That would be my natural instinct. But if we let go, our natural instinct is to catch the catcher. Got to hold on. Got to make this thing happen. But if that is attempted, it fails. The flyer has to hold very still and move as minimally as possible and wait and let the catcher catch him instead of him trying to catch the catcher. And then and only then is it a successful 
feet. What a picture of us, right? We, if we do let go, we're trying to figure it out and try to make God work a certain way. But what about the waiting and the trust that just holds still? Be still and know that I, the one on that other trapeze, am God. Strong enough to catch you. Strong enough to steady you. I have a plan and a purpose for your life. You are my workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that I planned beforehand for you to do. So don't panic. Some of you have already let go and you're panicking. God is inviting us to wait, to hold still. He's active. He's moving toward us wants to embrace us and hold us and keep us. It's God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Holy Spirit, thank you for your word today. Teach us to wait, to trust, even when we don't want to trust, even when we think we could move it a little faster. Teach us to trust and to allow you, the God who never changes and whom there is no variableness or shadow of turning, to allow you to hold us, catch us, steady us, work through us and use us for your glory. We thank you that you are a present God. We thank you that you are an active and trustworthy God. And we ask you to work in us today for the sake of your glory and kingdom. Your heads bow for just a moment this morning. I wonder if there might be someone here who would say, Pastor Kevin, I I am uh, not serving Jesus today. My heart is not right with him, and I know that. I know that if my life were to be taken, if Jesus were to return, not where I need to be. I've not surrendered my life to his lordship. I've not said, Jesus, you died on the cross for me and I give you my life. I want you to forgive me, but I want you to live inside of me and be my Lord. I've never done that, but you want to today. Just slip up a hand right where you're at. I'd love to pray with you. If anyone in this room would say, I've never made you my Lord, but I want to today. Anyone in this room would raise a hand and say, pray for ask a second question that if you're here today and you are in that period of waiting and it may be painful it may be hard to trust and you're hurting you say God I, I want you to walk through this with me I want to know your presence near me I believe that you are active but today God I need to sense that activity at work Anyone that would just slip up a hand right where you're at? There are several hands up this morning. I'd like for our staff to come, if they would, just stand across the front, please. We're going to sing this chorus. You may have raised your hand. Maybe you didn't, but you should have. Um, 
if you have a need in your life today and uh, you want someone to pray with you, whether it's you're in that waiting period or whether it's something else, but you want someone to pray with you, I, I want to invite you to come as we sing this chorus. Or if you just want to come and kneel, it won't bother you if you come and kneel. You may just want to take a few moments and pray. But as we sing this chorus, if you want someone to pray with you, if you want to take a few moments in prayer, would you come as we sing this chorus together? I worship you, Almighty God. Just worship Him together as...